You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. Well, my name is Braden. If you're new here, uh, my name is Braden. I'm a senior leader here. Uh, my wife and I live in Lubbock now and we moved up there to help plant our second church. And Cody and Stacy are the campus pastors here doing a phenomenal job. But uh, very, very excited to be with you. Really feel like I have uh, something on my heart that, that can that really help. And it's interesting. I, I can't remember if this, if this has ever happened or if this is the first time, I don't know. But I have no clue what the title of this message is. But I'm going to say some things. Is that all right with you? I'm just going to say some things. So anyway, uh, I just felt really compelled to start uh, doing this on a more disciplined, in a more disciplined way. But let, can we just pray and ask the Lord to speak to every single one of us before we get into the word today? Lord, we just, we so honor you. We so love you. We so feel your presence here. And we don't take it lightly that we can come into your presence, that where two or more of us gather in your name, you show up. And so I'm not the honored guest here today. No one else is the honored guest here today except for you. You are here and we thank you for that. Um, we trust that, and I, well, first of all, I guess I should say, I submit myself to your word today, Lord. I submit myself to you, Holy Spirit. I want all of you coming out and none of me coming out. My words don't change anything, but your words can change everything. And so, Lord, I just trust right now that as, as I endeavor to submit my mouth, my tongue, my heart, my mind, everything in me to you to speak your words, Lord, that you're taking these words and you're making them specific. You're making them powerful. You're, you're causing them to ignite hope, ignite faith, and your words coming out of my mouth are changing the atmosphere in this room. It's changing people's lives because that's what your word do, does. It must go forth and it must accomplish that. It was intended to accomplish. So I don't trust in me right now, but I wholeheartedly trust in your word to change lives today. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say Amen. All right. Well, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter two. Uh, they will, they, the, the scriptures will be on the screen, but I think sometimes it's good to look at it. Um, it's interesting. I was telling Cody this, Cody and I were talking as I was driving down here yesterday and he was just asking kind of what I was going to be preaching on and where we were headed today. And uh, oftentimes when the Lord, he'll tell me what I'm supposed to say, the main point, and then I feel like I've got to back up and keep backing up until I eventually say the point that I wanted to make and it's powerful, it makes sense, you know where it comes from and all that good stuff. And so uh, this is one of those messages that I knew what I wanted to say, but I kept backing up and backing up and backing up and backing up. So I have no idea where this is gonna land or if I'm even gonna say what I thought I wanted to say in the first place. Uh, but again, I'm so, I'm so thankful for the word that it's changing lives today. Uh, let me just start reading here in Genesis chapter two, verse four. Uh, I've, I've got to confess something here. This has been wrecking me. The more I think about it, I just was trying to share it with our team earlier, or Cody earlier, and I just, I'm so moved by, by some of this. I feel like so much of God's plan for us um, is outlined in the garden, in the original creation of man, the original uh, state of the earth. You have to understand something. You were not created for heaven. You were created for heaven on earth. That is, a, that is one of those interesting things that, is that it's not the same thing at all. Like we, we talk about, we even sing about, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. Well, just know that's a, that's a pit stop. <laughs> Heaven's a pit stop because we're coming back because we weren't even created for heaven. We were, 
we were created for earth. Earth was created for us. And so uh, when we read Genesis, especially chapters one and two, there is so much that God is saying. The Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Searching out the truth, the wisdom, the revelation, even in just those first two chapters is significant and can change your life so, so much. Genesis chapter two, starting in verse four, it says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb on the field had grown. So just try to, try to picture this. Like, it's very important that you try to wrap your head around what, these, what this word is saying. The earth was here, but there was no vegetation whatsoever. There was absolutely nothing here. Why? For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. Why, did, why was there no... Why was there no grass? Why were there no trees? Why was there no vegetation? Two things, one, the Lord had not caused it yet to rain. The seed of everything that was possible was in the ground, but there had been no rain yet. And why had he not sent the rain yet? Because there was not a man to till the ground. That is very, very significant. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Skip down to verse 15. It says, then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden, why? to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam. Now just think about this. He brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Like it wasn't one of those things where Adam says, we're gonna go with uh, zebra. And the Lord went, oh no, that's, that's the worst name I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> we gotta come up with something else. No, whatever Adam decided, listen to what was happening here. He, he brought the animals to Adam and then he says he stepped back to see what he would call it. God was so anxious to see. Have you ever done that with your kids? Because kids are so funny. You just like, you put some stuff in a room and you're like, I just, I'm gonna step back and just see, see what they're gonna do with this. That's what he was doing. He stepped back to see what he would, would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. We're gonna, we're gonna stop right there. I'm gonna make a couple of statements and then I'll start explaining them to the best of my ability. Uh, first of all, you have to understand that the world that God envisioned originally in the beginning was a co-created world. What God saw in his mind's eye when he was, when he was building the world, when he was creating the world, what he saw was a co-created world. He saw himself creating earth, creating a place, creating a people in his likeness and image, placing his values, placing his kingdom on the inside of him, inside of them. Now wrap your head around this. The God of the universe, his plan was to eventually step back and say, I wonder what they'll do with it. You were created for this. You were created to have the kingdom of God and the nature of God on the inside of you so that God could watch what, not what he could do, what you would do with what's on the inside of you. That is, just, that is mind boggling to me. So number one, 
The world that God envisioned from the beginning was a co-created world. Number two, you can never consume enough to rid yourself of the void that only purpose can fill. You can never consume enough of this world. You can never consume enough. You can never acquire enough money. You can never go to enough parties. You can never, and this is hard for me to say, kill enough big deer. Um, You could never in your lifetime, no matter how much money you had, you could never do enough in the natural and consume enough in the natural that would fill that void that's on the inside of you called purpose, called God had something in you to put on this earth, not just take from it. Couldn't do it, it's impossible. You were created for and with a purpose and you were created to need that purpose. We, um, lately our, our three-year-old, Evan, she has just blossomed into this uh, chatterbox for one. Um, but all of a sudden she's at this age where she wants to do everything. So it's like, hey, Evan, come in here. Let's put your pajamas on. I could do it. I could do it all by myself. <laughs> and so you watch her struggle and she's got an arm out the neck hole and doing it and you're trying to help her. I got it. I got it. I could do, I could do it all by myself. <laughs> she just wants to do everything by herself. And then even more so, also she started where when Leanne starts to cook, she'll say, mom, I can help. I want to help. I want to help. And so Leanne even put something out, I think on, on uh, Instagram or something the other day where she was letting Evan help crack the eggs. And I mean, it was just like, hey, just, and the kid has zero chill. Two of my three kids have zero chill and Evan is one of them. And so she'd say, okay, now just take the egg and just kind of crack it. And she'd just grab it, just whoosh, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's just fascinating watching. She wants to do everything. She doesn't want anybody help. She wants to show you that she could do it all by myself, all by myself. And the other day, it dawned on me, I ne- there's nothing that Leanne and I have ever done to lead her to believe that at some point in her life, we were gonna stop providing for her. There's nothing that we have ever done that led her to, be, to believe, hey, if you don't learn how to cook these eggs, someday you're gonna get hungry. Because someday, mom's not gonna do this anymore. If you don't learn to put your pajamas on by yourself, you're gonna have to run around naked because at some point in your life, we're gonna stop doing this. Not at zero point, at no point in her life did we lead her to believe that. So what is it in her that wants to do it all by herself? What is it in her that wants to crack the egg? What is it in, in her that even like, she sees mom, you, you know, girl, moms, you know how girls are, little baby girls are. They see mom clean or whatever. She'll eventually hate to clean, but to, this time she wants to clean. So she sees mom with the vacuum and she's like, I got it, I got it, I can do it. What is this thing in them naturally that we don't even have to teach that wants to do that. It's this, it's this need that every single one of us were born with. It's this hole, this void that every single one of us were born with. It's, I wanna do, I wanna play a part. I wanna, I wanna play a part in this. Adam, I even believe this. I believe that when God brought the, the animals to Adam to name them, I believe something in Adam was like, I was hoping he would ask. Why? He was born with a void called purpose. He was born with something on the inside of him that it wasn't for him to consume, it was for him to produce. 
And there is no amount of consumption. I don't care how much money you have, how much fame you have, how much favor. There's not, there's not enough coming in that will ever fix that. It will literally never go away. And I've watched people, they, they, they consume, 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 consume because they're empty. And the reason that they're empty is not because they haven't consumed enough, it's because they haven't given enough. They've never stopped and paused to say, Lord, okay, you've done so much for me, what can I do for you? What am I supposed to be doing? What was I put on this planet to do? What's amazing is this didn't even change under the new covenant. This is actually a part of the divine DNA of the earth. It's, it's, it's a bizarre thing. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter three, New Testament. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, so Paul's job was to plant, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Two men, one God, all had a part to play. So then neither who, he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's fellow workers. God can't bring increase to something you don't plant. Sometimes we're like, Lord, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And he goes, I will as soon as you do something. I promise you I will. But I, and I don't understand this all the way, but it's part of the way he designed this thing to work where it's like, I can do it all, but in my power, I won't do it all. It's this weird thing. Think about this. Why didn't Jesus, if salvation was so important, if all of humanity coming to know God, it is his desire that all come, like the scripture says, all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. That is the most important thing that could ever happen in someone's life is that they come to the saving knowledge, the saving power of Jesus. If that is so, then why did Jesus stop ministry after three and a half years? I mean, if, if anybody in this room or anybody that we've ever known dies at 33 and a half years old, you know what we call that? A tragedy. We say that their life was cut short. Jesus's life wasn't stolen, it was given. He was not murdered, he surrendered. It wasn't like he was like, no, 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 wait, wait. I have so much left to do. You can't kill me today. No, every single thing that happened, he, his life was not taken from him, he laid his life down. After three and a half years and only 12 employees, most of which were garbage. <laughs> Think about this. If salvation is so important, why did Jesus not stick around for another 50 years and fix it all? Because it's not the divine design of this planet and it's not the divine design of humanity. He took three and a half years, he put everything he could into 12 and said, now let's see what you do with it. And that has not changed today. In every single one of us disciples, there are things that God, will, there are, there are things that God is going to do in your life, but there's gonna come a time when he'll say, okay, Let's see what you do with it. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your family? You can keep praying and praying and praying and say, Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for your family? What are you going to do in, at the place that you're, that you're working? It's interesting how God sometimes, he creates the place. He puts you in the place but it's almost your responsibility and your reward and your glory even 
to see what you're gonna do in that place. He puts you in a family, but then he steps back sometimes and says, okay, how are you gonna raise your family? How are you gonna raise your family? How are you gonna, how are you gonna steward the job that I gave you? What are you gonna do in the church that I sent you? What are you, what are you doing with this? Another thing you need to know, because I, I, here's, the, here's the goal, I, I wanted to stir you up to understand that you had a purpose but we're getting somewhere with this. You have to understand that there actually is a God-ordained blueprint in Scripture to, disco- to discovering and walking in your purpose. There's actually, for, how, many you like, how many of you guys like lists? Some of you list people, is like, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm like, I'm always looking for the blueprint. I'm like, okay, great, I feel good, but tell me what to do. You know, how, how are we gonna accomplish this? And there actually is in Scripture a, God or does, a, a God-ordained design blueprint. Jesus actually walked this out. And it all happened in a very short moment. If you've got your Bibles, you're going to get Matthew chapter 3. We'll pull it up again. But I want to read you this because in this incredible passage of Scripture is the blueprint for discovering and walking in your purpose. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him by saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What was, the, what was the assignment on Jesus's life? To fulfill all righteousness. And he literally just told John, hey, there's, there's some things that happen, have to happen. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a series of steps that we need to go through if I'm going to fulfill my purpose, if I'm gonna step into my purpose, if I'm gonna step into my calling. So he's literally telling John, this is a part of the blueprint. I need you to do this. It's not about who's better or what. I need you to do this because I'm prophetically declaring a blueprint for humanity. It says, so right here in verse 16, So when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And I don't want us to overlook this. I was telling Cody, I don't know how in all these years I seem to have skimmed right over this. But I I, I just want you to see it, but I'm not going to teach on it today. It says, Jesus came up immediately from the water. This baptism represents salvation. That's what he was, this was the symbol of salvation. Notice what happened. He comes up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. I need you to understand something. You can't do enough good works on this earth to open heaven for you. But when you receive Jesus, heaven is now available to you. This is our our number one mission statement. This is why we exist, to see heaven come to earth in every area of life. You say, man, that seems abstract. I've never heard anything like it. Well, it's in the scripture. It's in the scripture. He was baptized and the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting up on, key word there, up on him. And suddenly a voice from heaven, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We're gonna stop right there. There are several markers, several bullets and points, if you will, prophetically declaring the plan for you discovering and walking your purpose. Number one is salvation. When you, are, when you are born again, the nature of God that you were created to walk in is, is made alive in you for the first time. You were born dead. When you're born again, you are born alive in Christ. And the DNA of God is placed in you in this beautiful harmony and union with the Holy Spirit himself. So that when you're born again, that's the Holy Spirit in you. 
Holy Spirit in you and this divine partnership and your divine DNA is placed in there. The thing that you were born to do is in there. I propose to you, you will never have a clue what you were born to do until you were born again. You will never, there's this, in, in the world, let me say it another way, in the world, carnally, people will say, oh wow, you're really good at this. This must be what you were born to do. I propose many people, if not most people in scripture, the thing that they were born to do was the thing that they were actually worst at. Moses was called to be a spokesperson for God and he stuttered. Can you imagine that? If people would have told Moses his whole life, hey, this thing, you know what? Public speaking is probably not your thing. Yeah, what was the thing that he was born to do? The thing that he could not do in the natural. David killed Goliath. He was the least warrior looking like person in the whole family. So much so that when the, when the prophet came, the dad didn't even invite him. His own dad didn't even like him. So what if David had, and he had been told his whole life, and what if the prophet didn't have the wherewithal to hear the Lord and say, no, no, it ain't that. Because, and I'm even trying to imagine, I've got this sarcastic way of reading the Bible. of like, I imagine like David walking up and he going, oh, no, 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 no. So what was the deal? In the natural, he could not. In the spiritual, in the supernatural, it's what he was born to do. I'm gonna tell you the thing that you were born to do, you'll never even sniff until you are born again. Salvation begins that journey. That seed is planted on the inside of you of the thing that you were born to do when you were born again. Secondly, the Holy Spirit up on, or one of the things that we call this, and you may have never heard of this, but something called a baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you go back and read this, and I don't have time to do all this, but if you go back and read, some of the apostles went around after, after Jesus had you know, ascended and descended for the final time, all the things, he's back in heaven, they're, they're walking the earth. At one point, they go up to a group of disciples and they say, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? What does that mean? There are two different things going on here. When you're born again, there's the Holy Spirit inside you. Then there's another time when the Holy Spirit comes up on you. What did Jesus tell the disciples once he reappeared to them after he was, had, had died and been resurrected? He reappears to the disciples and what does he say to them? Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Don't go anywhere until the Father sends who? The Holy Spirit. Now, when he says don't go anywhere, why would he have to tell them don't go anywhere? What was this thing? Why, why would they wanna go anywhere? Like where were they going? <laughs> You know where they were going? They were going to do the thing that they were recruited to do from the very beginning. When Jesus recruited the disciples, what did he say? Hey, follow me, follow me and what? I'll make you fishers of men. He spoke their destiny to them the moment he met them. But even after all that, and after he had trained them for three and a half years, training does not prepare you for ministry. Think about this. Actually, let me, re let me rephrase this. Training prepares you. Training does not qualify you for ministry because they had been trained for three and a half years under the greatest trainer, under the greatest teacher of all time. And even after three and a half years of training, he went, oh no, you're not ready. You're not ready. I think it's one of the great um, fallacies in the church today. There are so many people trying to fulfill the call of God on their life and they don't even believe in the Holy Spirit upon them. 
They have never even invited the Holy Spirit to partner. And yet Jesus himself told the trained, perfectly trained disciples who believed in him, saved and trained, said, don't even think about leaving here until what? Until the Holy Spirit comes. I propose to you, you may, one of the most hopeless things you'll ever go through in your life is knowing that you were called to do something but rejecting the Holy Spirit and never having the power to accomplish it. I don't know about that whole speaking in tongues thing. I don't think that's for me. Then neither is fulfilling the call of God on your life. Because I promise you, I promise you it's going to take faith to accomplish the thing that God has called you to accomplish. And the Bible says, stir yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in other tongues. So if tongues isn't for you, neither is your purpose. If the power of the Holy Spirit is, is, not, is not for you. And, and can I just be honest with you? A lot of this stuff at first, it, it's, gonna, it's gonna grade against everything on the inside of you. The things of the kingdom, they grade on the things of this world. They grade against the things of this world. I'll give you an example, worship. I, I, I'm not trying to make fun, so just give me just a minute just to get a little, couple things off my chest. But I love standing in the back watching our worship leaders say, that's it, everyone just press in. And some of your version of pressing in is comical. It's like switching your coffee from one hand to the other. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know why? Because it's not comfortable. It's, it's, it's really not comfortable. If no one in this room, the first time they encountered God, wanted to fall on their knees and lift their hands. It's because everything in you is like, why do I feel this way? I feel like I should respond in some way because something's going on, on the inside of me, but I don't know what's going on. And there's this weird grade again going on. Why? Worship, worship is a part of your purpose. Worship requires faith. Worship requires understanding what God actually did. Worship requires thanksgiving. Worship requires humility. All of these are values of the kingdom. And before you actually have worked out some of that stuff, worship's not gonna be easy. Well, neither is walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because sometimes he's gonna have you do something that's gonna freak you out. You, you wanna know why that we, we do things like we do them and say, hey, if, if you're dealing with this, if you, if blah, 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 raise your hand in here. You wanna know why we don't do the, the laying on of hands? Because if you can't break that anxiety in this room, you'll never do it out of this room. The church has been guilty far too long of just making Christians, not making disciples. You're supposed to come in here and learn what to do so you'll go out there and actually do it. But if we're not working on some of these things, some of you in here, if this is new to you, the next time Cody or whoever's up here says, hey, we're, we're gonna pray for some folks, raise your hand, and everything in you is feeling like this is weird, this is uncomfortable, or even Cody says, hey, stretch your hand. Can I just help you become a disciple? Do it. It would, it would just make me so happy. Now, first of all, I'm not condemning anyone who's not. Because I actually do, this is something I'm working on too. I actually do believe there needs to be a place in the church that some people can come in hurting, broken, can barely even get in the door. And we don't judge them if they don't walk over and lay hands on somebody. Because they're so broken right now, they can't hardly walk. So just understand that, that that's how I feel about this. Like we need to have, there needs to be a safe place in this church for people that aren't ready. But I'm just telling you, if you've been here for a while and you're ready and there's that thing going on and it's just like, ah, oh, that's weird or I don't want to put my coffee down or put it down. And go. Because you, when you do that, what are you saying? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Yes. 
I don't know if I'm even packing any heat once I get there, but I'm gonna do something. Their symptoms might get worse when I get there. The Holy Spirit upon. I have two minutes. All right, I'll, I'll just maybe pick up on some of this when I get done because I, I have to touch on it. I have to touch on this. He was baptized, born again. The Holy Spirit landed on him, came upon him, lit on him, Holy Spirit upon. And then suddenly a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I have come to the understanding or the belief, I should say. Not like I've arrived in full understanding, but I have come to the belief that probably the most significant thing that you'll need in your life to fulfill the call of God on your life is 100% awareness that you are his son, you are his daughter, and before you ever do a thing for him, he's already pleased with you. That's genuinely what I believe. I believe that that voice from Jesus himself, who had no sin, who had never done anything wrong, who knew where he came from and knew what he was called to, it seems as though even he needed to hear his father say, you my boy, Blue. That's my boy. And I freaking love that guy. Me and him, we good. Here's why, here is why that I think those words are so significant. This is my beloved son, identity. This is who you are. This is my beloved daughter. This is who you are. This is who you are. And in him I'm well pleased. This is not just who he is, this is how I feel about him. This is the, this is the emotion that comes up when I think about them. I'm already pleased. There are two words that we're gonna nav- you will navigate the rest of your life as a Jesus follower. Two, two things that you're gonna have to learn to navigate. Shame and conviction. Shame and conviction. Uh, Leanne and I were talking about this. This is where this message was born out of. was just a conversation with me and Leanne the other day where I was like, <sighs> we were talking about how do you navigate when, when you hear something? Is this shame talking or is this the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me, let me tell you, let me start walking you through just briefly the difference between these two and then I'm gonna pray for you. Um, Shame says there's something wrong with you. Conviction says there's something wrong with what you're doing. Shame says you are a liar. Conviction says stop lying because that's not who you are. Shame tries to convince you that you are not the beloved son and daughter and he is not pleased with you. Conviction says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you've been called to represent the kingdom on this planet and the thing that you're doing is not getting you to your purpose. The thing that you're doing is not making anything better. The thing that you're doing is not helping your life. The thing that you're doing is not going to bring fulfillment. Why? Because you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As Jesus is in heaven, so are you on this earth. See, um, I, I... 
the, it's like the last thing Jesus needed you know, Jesus to know before he sent him out. And then there's, there's a whole thing on that where Jesus sends him out. Or, or, I'm sorry, God sends Jesus out. He was baptized, Holy Spirit upon. Uh, he hears the voice of his father and it says he sent him into the wilderness. There was this testing season. But let me just, I want you to understand something. I don't know that I necessarily believe that, the, that God brought the enemy there. I believe the enemy's ways brought the enemy there because the Bible says that the thief comes, what? Immediately to kill, to steal, and destroy. And what was the first thing that the enemy did when he showed up with Jesus after he had literally just had, I mean, imagine this moment, a voice from the heaven just shouted out, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the first thing that this enemy did is he tried to get him to question what? If you are the son of God. What do you mean if? Did you not hear the clouds talking? What do you mean if? If you are the son of God. If you are the son of God. And then the second time he tested him, he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself off because the Bible says he's gonna send angels to protect you if you do that. What did he question? The love of God, how he feel, felt about him. Well, if he really loved you, he'd save you. So if he loves you, then jump off. He'll take care of you. He questioned who he was and he questioned how the father felt about him. What was the last two things the father said? You are my son. That is who you are. And I freaking love you. If we, don't, if we don't walk in who we are as sons and daughters in the righteousness of God, then what's gonna happen is, is when the Holy Spirit comes and brings conviction and brings, uh, it, it's, it's, let me say it another way. Conviction is the Holy Spirit, well, let me, let me say it a different way. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you into the sanctification process. You ever heard the word sanctify? You know what that word means? Set apart. And, and I read one definition, it actually says in, 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 on, uh, on, I was read, found this on the internet, set apart for special use or purpose. Sanctification qualifies you for your purpose. Sanctification gets all the stuff out of the way that doesn't represent the kingdom so that you can go do the thing that you're called to do. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, 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 that thing that's in your life, it's not who you are, but this thing that's in your life, we need to get that out. This addiction to pornography, this addiction to drugs, this addiction to alcohol, we need to get that out. This issue with lust that you're dealing with right now, we need to get that out. That's the old person that you keep holding on to, that you won't let go. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, recreated in his likeness and in his image. You have been made perfect. This is who you are. But this thing is not helping you get to where you are called to be. This, this temper problem, we need to get that out. We need to get, we, it's, it's, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is inviting you into a process of getting the sin out and being set apart for what? Your purpose. But if I don't know who I am, if I don't know that I am not what I do, I am what he says I am, then when I start hearing negative, what will maybe feel like negative talk, I'll go, no, I, I bind that in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit's like, why are you binding me? I'm trying to get some stuff out of your life. You're good. Calm down. No, no, I can't hear that. I remember going through this. When I first began to understand grace and the love of God in the New Testament, I, I struggled, I struggled hearing anything negative. It's, I think it's my beard. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> kind of sounded cool, I think it's my beard. Um, but when I first was understanding this, I almost, I went through this weird phase where it's like, well, what, I, I never wanted to hear anything negative. I just wanted to hear, hear positive. And, we, and, and more than ever, this generation, they, 
and some of it has to do with some really poor parenting over the last 20 years, but they can't hear anything negative. They do, we have a young generation that just freaks out over the word no. I mean, just panic, like, like we've assaulted them or something with two little letters. It's an identity thing. And I, I would go so far as to believe that a lot of us in here, because we actually don't really know who, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are his beloved son, and in him you are, he is well pleased. Because we don't know that, we can't hold out the things that we do with like, hey, get it out. I'm up, I'm up for whatever. Why? Because there's a hole in me called purpose. And if I don't get that out, I will never get there. And I will live the rest of my life trying to fill the void of purpose with consumption. And you'll never get there. So we reject, we even re, we'll, we'll even get to the point where we'll reject people who try to speak, be a part of that sanctification process. And here's how I know that that's true. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what? For the perfecting of the saints. And all of a sudden, we don't let anybody in our life that says, hey, how's your marriage? Are you, are you, are you how, what's, how much debt do you have? Who the fuck do you think you are talking about my marriage and my money? Don't talk to me about that. <laughs> well, that's fine. Don't, don't fulfill your purpose. Don't fulfill the God, call of God in your life. Don't let another human being, don't welcome another human being into the process of sanctification. Don't let them help you get to your purpose. I'm telling you, this is a, this is a tough one. We, we need, individually, we need to spend so much time walking in who we are in Christ and, and declaring over, I, I remember this is the number one tool and I, again, I can't get into all of it and I'll, I'll stop right here, but I need to leave you with at least one tool. When you start to feel shame, what is shame? This is who you are. It's not just what you're doing. This is, you are a liar. You're a quitter. You, you never get it right. You never follow through. This, 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 this attack of who you are. When you hear that, you open your mouth and you tell the voice of shame who he says you are. I'm not a quitter. I just quit that time. But Jesus wasn't a quitter and I'm hidden in him. Even when things got terrible and sucked beyond compare, he didn't quit. When he was bleeding drops of blood, he didn't quit. And I am hidden in him who never quits. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.